Today's Great Women in Frog guest is Jennifer Makovac, and she is another Midwesterner. You guys know how I love the Midwest. Jennifer specializes in investigations, due diligence, and litigation consulting. I took a mini vacation to Mexico and am totally reinvigorated. Jennifer is also a very avid traveler. We have so many shared interests. Take a listen and get ready to go to Amazon to buy some more books. Okay, I have to say your name right away while it's still in my brain. Today's Great Women in Fraud is Jennifer Makovic. Did I get it right? But close. Very, very close. Jennifer Makovic. Oh, but Mac- you were 99% there. <laughs> okay. okay. So much better than most people do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll start that. We'll start it that way. So um we are going to start today with a little bit of a speed round, which I love to do, or some people call it a lightning round or something. Um, Mac or PC? Ooh, a recent convert to a Mac, and I wouldn't go back. Oh, I love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Go Apple stock. Because <laughs> PCs were kind of catching up in my little thing, and I was getting a little concerned. Maybe I need to sell my stock. No. I, I, although I do have to say, I still use Outlook for email, so I'm not fully converted yet to... Uh, <laughs> Google Gmail through my Mac, but I'm getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who makes better embezzlers, women or men? Ooh, that's a tough question. I think women. Love it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> I do. Although sometimes they might go on a little shopping spree or buy some things that might just make it obvious um, that, that they're using a credit card they shouldn't be or abuse some money they shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. um, who is a famous crook or cop you would love to go out to have a drink with? Wow. A famous crook or a famous cop. Um, that is Being such a in tough Chicago, one. You might have the choice of a lot. <laughs> I know I might have the choice of a lot. You know, I just um, finished uh, the most recent episode or series, uh, Narco. So I've watched all all seasons. And while I can't remember the main DEA agents names, there's a couple of them. I think probably some of them. They've got um, just an amazing uh, experience and what they had to deal with and um, the types of criminals they dealt with, the money they dealt with, the drugs they dealt with. Um, Just such an interesting uh, sit down it would be. I'm sure it wouldn't be a sit down and probably be a whole lunch and turn into dinner. (laughs) Yeah. So Steve Murphy and I think Javier Pena. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. And then what is some of the best money you have ever spent personally or professionally? Wow. Professionally, probably my Mac. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Personally, you know, I love to travel and I love to uh, enjoy great food and just see new places and meet new people and new culture. So I like to spend money on traveling and going to see new places, whether it's, you know, in my hometown of Chicago, where I live now, or, you know, somewhere thousands of miles away across the globe. So that's some of the best money I've spent. That's so interesting. Um, I just had, uh, I was doing some LinkedIn coaching for my son and his colleague who happens to be his BFF. And we were talking, the colleague really likes to read nonfiction. And my son really likes to read fiction. And I'm doing a chapter on empathy right now. And um, there's a whole thing about the more fiction you read, Mm -hmm. the more empathetic you are. Wow, that's that's interesting. Are you so going to ask I mean, me the latest, greatest fiction book I've read? 
Do you have one that you're reading? You know, right I now? was just going to say, I just finished one. It won a whole bunch of, you know, top, top awards. Um, I think it's called the last thing he told me. So definitely fiction. Um, but it reminded me of some things that we do in our world because the, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, I definitely sometimes do spoiler alerts. Um, but one of the, uh, main characters has to go to a university library to look at yearbooks. And it reminds me of cases where I've worked on, where I've gone to libraries or called up libraries to actually get copies of yearbooks, either the photo or what it says about someone. Um, so the book was really good, but it also had some good takeaways for people in our field. Oh my gosh, this is so funny. So I just finished that book. My friend <laughs> gave it. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? I don't know what happened there, but we'll have that edited out because I just completely dropped. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You dropped right when you were saying you just read that book. <laughs> yeah. OK, so we'll get that taken care of. So I read that book. A friend of mine gave it to me and I devoured it. And um, it's cheesy, but it's good. Exactly. I was going to say it's cheesy, but there are some good takeaways. And it's a super quick read, as you said. I read it probably in a week and I normally don't read that quickly at all. <laughs> Um, and okay, no spoilers, but the ending. Very interesting. I, I, I think I was um, surprised by the ending, but not completely surprised. What did you think? That dropped again, but let's, we'll be able to, yeah, the ending was completely surprising and um, I liked it. It was, you know what? It was a book that the, I thought was very visual. Like I had really visual and maybe it's because it's the work we've done mm -hmm. in investigations. I had very visuals of like her, her furniture that she made. And that's not a spoiler mm -hmm. or, you know, some of the other characters, but the ending scene I literally had the visual of, we won't spoil it for you guys. Cause right. I, me too. I thought it was really, yeah. really well written, even though it was cheesy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So Jennifer, give the audience your sort of backstory. Sure. So uh, I'll just start with, uh, I went, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Cleveland. I went to college in the Midwest in Milwaukee. And so it probably would have made sense for me to stay in the Midwest after college. But I picked up a couple of days after college graduation and moved to New York City uh, with another college roommate of mine. And uh, she picked me up in her little car from Iowa, stopped over in Cleveland, we each brought clothes and we had a sublet for three months and, and that was it. It was sort of like make it or break it. And 
I can't believe I did that without any money, really, um, or a job. Uh, I had a job in a, at the Limited, which at the time was a fashion store, but not my dream job, just my job so I could buy clothes. Um, so that's sort of how I got to New York City. And that's where I started my career uh, in the mid-1990s. So a really interesting time in New York City, just all the way around. Um, so I started in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, and they had... Uh, younger people who were investigative analysts. And these were uh, people who, for the most part, were trying to figure out if they wanted to go the path of law enforcement or go the path of law school. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I thought I wanted to be in the FBI. And I thought that you had to be a lawyer to be in the FBI or an accountant. And so I figured, okay, I'll, I'll figure out if I should study for the LSAT. I'll see if I want to go to law school, but I'll just see like, what it's like to work in a prosecutor's office. And I had an internship at a public defender's office during college. So sort of weighing the two, figuring it out. And it was the most amazing job. I had the most amazing uh, bosses, mentors, worked on some of the most difficult uh, cases. And that transitioned into me learning about what became uh, my job in law enforcement. And that was a detective in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. So it's sort of a unique job. Uh, one goes to the police academy for 18 weeks. So I did that. Um, certainly an interesting time, the police academy. Uh, didn't love it, didn't hate it, but a very interesting time. And I met some great, great folks, um, mostly men at that point, um, but really amazing time. And then I was assigned to the Manhattan DA's office um, where I spent almost a decade. And so in that capacity, really worked on very long-term complex cases, some global cases. Um, but I had the benefit as a female of really getting involved in all sorts of cases that my male colleagues didn't, because even if it was to escort a male colleague on an interview of a female in a case I wasn't even otherwise working on, there were very few females in law enforcement at the time in my office. So I had a very unique experience and glimpse, glimpse into so many different cases, again, that weren't even my specialty or weren't even you know, my investigation. So I uh, did that and then left uh, law enforcement in 2005. I joined, uh, moved to Chicago. I joined Kroll where I spent um, about five or six years, uh, then moved on to another uh, consulting company here in Chicago um, called Hillard Heinz, where I uh, led their investigations practice. And two years ago, I left uh, that company to co-found 221B Partners with a colleague of mine, office mate, and a dear friend, Andrew Keith, who I met at Kroll and at Hillard Heinz. So um, really have seen kind of how the public sector, the private sector um, works, and both are equally great, equally challenging, and have their own sort of, you know, nuances. Well, so I um, I didn't re realize we both worked at Kroll, but I was just a contractor. But mm -hmm. I didn't realize um, that you were actually a uh, district attorney detective, which must be fascinating, especially in the 90s. I'm listening right now to mafia tapes. Oh, I don't um, know it. Oh, OK. I talk about it on episode 61, I think, with um, Celia Anaskovich, who did the Fruitcake Fraud documentary. And um, so this is a podcast, but just listening to what was going on back then, it was fascinating. 
Absolutely it, was, it was really crazy. And right before I went to the police academy, so before I was a sworn police officer, I worked in a, in a unit called the Homicide Investigation Unit, which no longer exists. But um, these were not random, you know, uh, well, some of them are random, but it was violent narcotics trafficking um, gangs that were committing murders. Um all over the place. But, you know, our jurisdiction was New York City. And uh, just I really got a glimpse into a whole different world, but especially in the mid 1990s, when there were probably I don't know how many, but I think more than 2000 murders um, really was a was a unique time period. A couple of years ago, there were just a couple hundred murders, I know. Um, and crime is back up there again. But uh, yeah, the mid 1990s was really something <laughs> okay so this is a silly question but did you ever do the vix trip or vix um trick where you put vix under your nose when you walk into a murder scene no i haven't but mostly because i haven't been at a murder scene um, i will say so so okay. in, that, in that role um i i have seen a I guess a body by happenstance, but that was more as a as a tenant of a building who walked out and happened to walk past a dead body, but um, nothing to do with my job. Um, But haven't been at a murder scene, just either worked on investigations after the murder or before the murder, unfortunately. Yeah, I learned that trick from a marshal and um, it just always stuck with me. And now I notice it in like, you know, um, pop culture. So kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting. OK, so um, another kind of strange question. Do you have like a favorite case when you were in law enforcement and now a favorite case when you're in private sector? And are they similar at all? Good. That's an interesting question. I think my favorite case in law enforcement was probably in that unit I was just talking about, this drug invest or this homicide investigation unit. Um, and one of my favorite stories is my mom, who's, you know, still doesn't know what I do after all this time. Even the other day, she said to me, just one day, will you just sit down and tell me what you do? And I do tell her what I do all the time, but um, unless you're in this field, I think it's, it's a little hard to explain. Um, But she came and visited the office uh, once. And in that particular unit, we had the, uh, the, 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 the sentences, the prison sentences that some of the defendants got. And, you know, it ranged from, you know, like 102 to, let's say, like 500 or something years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, because these were like bad people. Right. And my mom was like, my goodness, the, 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 that man must weigh a lot. And like, she thought it was their weight. Um, but, but kidding aside, we did such meaningful work. And again, at this point, I wasn't in law enforcement in a detective capacity, but I worked with some of the most brilliant prosecutors and other detectives and learned a lot, but the work that we did was really incredible. And I think it showed me the value of having analysts on the team to do some of the investigative work that doesn't require a gun and it doesn't require a badge or a shield, um, but it's equally as valuable. And whether that's going through bank records or phone records, um, phone records are my favorite thing as an investigative tool, but whether it's that or sitting in on interviews and being the second or third year, um, those cases were just super intriguing. They had, they had everything they had, they had, 
killings. They had love. They had drugs. They had really everything that you could uh, imagine. Yeah. So now how about in the private sector? What is sort of your sweet spot for cases? Or do you have one you can talk about that you really enjoyed working uh, you know, maybe a combination of a couple that I can merge into one. And I, you know, I know this is supposed to be about uh, probably 100% fraud, but I think that, you know, a lot of the casework that we do, whether it's a pre-transaction due diligence or litigation support or uh, some sort of fraud case or internal, uh, some sort of internal investigation that we're working on, or even a threat case, you know, you sort of start off in the same way with your methodology and the research that you do. And then you start veering off and digging down deeper. What, you know, if it's an asset search, you're doing one thing at the end or during. Um, but I've worked on a number of, of threat cases that, um, you know, there, there could be some sort of fraud involved. There could be some sort of divorce going on or money issue going on. There could be sort some sort of, uh, you know, anonymous person making a threat and it has nothing to do with money, perhaps, or maybe they're targeting a high net worth person and it has everything to do with money. Uh, so I think those cases that I really love without kind of talking about one in particular is one that combines many different skill sets. And that's looking through maybe phone records or, you know, we don't always have financial records, but if we do looking through that um, and then marrying that with perhaps interviews and then marrying that with what we find in the public record and figuring out how we can help our client um, in this, in the particular case, um, whether that somebody avoid a threat or figure out if there is an actionable threat, whether that's getting law enforcement involved, um, whether that's, you know, finding that there really is some money that's gone missing and we're going to get law enforcement involved that way. Those are the cases I love that have a lot of different players have a lot of different moving parts that are really complex and where, where you really get to know the client, the victim, and your subjects of interest, your, your suspects in the case. Um, those are the best ones to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, you know, it's never been the statistic. It's always been the story and the why. And it mm -hmm. sounds like it's a lot like that for you. So you've mentioned phone records a couple of times. And now this goes to you spoke, and this is such an honor that Jennifer got to speak at osmosis because you got to be good to speak at osmosis. <laughs> it, it, we were surprised we were picked too. Um, and I spoke with my colleague, Andrew Keith, and it, it was very flattering and we were really excited and it was a great conference. And Cynthia is always such an amazing teacher and mentor and host. So it was great. So are you going to attend in, it's in Tampa, isn't it? Tampa, October, 2022? I think it is in Tampa. Yeah, I think we probably will attend. There were three of us last year who attended. Um, we've since have a fourth employee who's joined us. He's a little closer to Tampa um, than, than we are here, but always looking to learn. And I think the thing that, or not I think, but the thing that I like about that conference is it's not about trying to, you know, kind of hobnob and network with 10 different lawyers and the business development and the same salespeople at some big conference, it's really our peers. And I, I walk away meeting new peers. And these are peers that I uh, might need to talk through a case with or get help and advice on a case or uh, refer a client to because I don't have that particular niche skill. Because in this industry, I would say I'm very much a generalist. But um, some of our colleagues and peers, as you know, have 
niches that are just sort of like, whoa, wow. And uh, so there might even be the opportunity to refer work. And so for that conference, I really like the learning aspect and the networking aspect with, with our peers. Yeah, it's an amazing conference. And I hope to see you there because I'm planning on going. I'm oh, good. I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a great conference. And um, we have a we have a fun little group that goes out with Brian Willingham and um, does tapas and sangria and all sorts of stuff. And I met know, him at the conference and, and it was fabulous. We did just that. So we missed you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, pre-COVID, we had someone there from Namibia. London, there's a guy that comes all the time from Australia. It's just, and, you know, reached out and stayed connected. So, Mm -hmm. and that's what great women in fraud is about is like that conference. Um, I'm doing a fraud retreat this summer with uh, Joe Irvin. And it's like, it's kind of those, I'm going to say not off the wall because they're not off the wall, but um, they're just, I don't know. They're more bespoke conferences, I think. Then yeah. And the, the, the thing I liked about, I don't know the, the one you're going to in the summer, but it sounds great. But the thing that I liked about Osmosis, and this was my first year attending because we had always sent um, others to the conference from my last company, but it was interesting to see the different uh topics that everyone talked about because they were really they were really different and really varied and then she had a sort of a speed round um, like a dating speed round and those were great too like 10 different topics you spend 10 minutes at the table and then you kind of move on and hear the next speaker and so there was a really good variety um, that was great yeah so um did you think of going to law school i did (laughs) yeah and I, i think i failed the lsat (laughs) <laughs> that's why you're a good investigator. <laughs> I, um, I, re- I remember distinctly showing up to the LSAT and I w- I'm very good at logic questions, but the questions where you have to read the, uh, the question, it was a very long winded uh, thing about chlorophyll and plants. And I, I honestly, like people were in there taking the test and, I think they had clocks with them and Tylenol and five sharpened pencils. And I was just sort of like reading this question and I, my mind just sort of, I don't want to say froze. I think I, it deliberately froze and realized, gosh, I really don't want to be taking this test. So I, I, I it's not like I stopped trying, um, but I had a <laughs> moment of what do I find more interesting, the investigating or maybe being the lawyer on the case. And it was definitely the investigating part. And I think that I was using the law school to have a better chance to do the investigating part. And that sort of was counterintuitive uh, when I look back, (laughs) but I didn't know better at the time. So I I think it all worked out in the right way. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely worked out. We're friends. If you were a lawyer, I might not be friends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So, um, do you have a personal motto? Personal motto, I would say that I, um, and maybe a lot of people use this, but I would say like work hard and play hard. I definitely work really, really, really hard. Um, but then I also really look forward to that sort of try, trying to get some work-life balance, but um, that's difficult these days. But I would say work hard, play hard so that I can take those opportunities to do something really special and take a meaningful trip or 
take a chance and not take a chance, but try something new. I really like sort of always learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I love listening to new things, meeting new people. Uh, you know, I think one thing about COVID is some people maybe took more classes than they had before or took a class or watched something different or read something different. Um, so I think a couple of different things, but I'd say, I'd say a lifelong learner and really just uh, work hard and play hard. Yeah. And, yeah. and really, and I think also just when I say take chances, maybe it means more like seize, seize the moment. Like, you know, I, I, we're not all going to live till we're 80, 90 or hundred. And I'm definitely not someone who thinks that I should, you know, be saving all my money for retirement so that when I'm 70, I can take that special trip or do that special things with friends and family. I want to do that while, um, while I have it in me to do it while I'm able to climb that mountain or, you know, swim, swim in the ocean or, or whatever. Oh, that is so meaningful to me right now because my husband did everything right and saved for retirement and then got sick. And yeah, so it's, you know, I wish I would have known it when I was a little bit younger, but you know, we can only, we can only do what we can only do. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and also it's never too late too. So, um, you know, if, if someone listening to this, um, hears this and, you know, books a trip right after this, or, you know, even books a new class or, try something new or meets a new person. Um, I think, you know, that's great. So that leads me to a question. If you could work in a different job field, what would it be? Well, I think it would be some combination that has to do with travel, but also philanthropy of some sort. Um, but I don't know how to combine those two just yet, but I think there's an angle there, uh, but I would also work on wrongful conviction cases if money wasn't an object or it was part-time work or I'm semi-retired or retired. Um, I've, I've worked on uh, a number of wrongful conviction cases that have just absolutely been some of the most meaningful work that I've ever done. And I played a very small role in, in these cases. It's, you know, really the legal team and the families and others who are fighting for sometimes decades to get an innocent person out of jail. So uh, those cases are complex and hard and, and the investigative part is difficult because you're trying to many times find witnesses or records dating back 20 or 30 years. Um, and that can be really challenging, but super interesting. Um, cause I love finding looking for, and hopefully finding really old records. Um, but those cases are really meaningful and really great. This is so funny. We are like, so on the same track right now. So I'm reading John Nardisi's book. Have you read that? No. Oh, oh, okay. I'm, I, I feel like I should be I, taking I, notes during this, run. during our, during I'll, our I'll chat. <laughs> yeah, I'll drop it in the show notes, but I follow him on Twitter. And, um, and of course my computer is just like being so incredibly slow, but it's a <laughs> wrongful conviction case. And, um, oh, the burden of innocence by John Nardisi and he, on, um, Twitter, he's author PI. It's really good. Okay. Really, oh, really good. And that, not great. like um, the first book we talked about was fluffy a little bit. Mm -hmm. This isn't fluffy at all. So I think you would really like this book. Um, I'm like two thirds of the way through. 
So, okay. No, that's great. It, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things that people can do, especially with our skill set. even if we don't have a hundred hours to donate to working on the case, even just, um, you know, at one time I showed or colleagues of mine showed uh, a law school class um, working on these cases, how to better use some of the databases that they have access to in law school. And even just that little thing, you know, it was maybe an hour of prep time and then an hour of my time. And, you know, if that helped them track down one more witness or find a new phone number because of the nuanced way we taught them to do the searches, then that that's great. And that's worth it. And that's such little time uh, to, to spend. So. I mean, that's why I love to teach instead of actually investigate <laughs> these days, because you're teaching a big group and you're not doing whack-a-mole like, you know. You're spreading the word to a large group industry or something like that. So, okay. So you've mentioned the phone calls. I feel like you have some super secret database or maybe a favorite database that you (laughs) use. Do you have one? Wow. For phone calls, I don't have a favorite database. The thing with databases is, you know, they're so expensive, so it's hard to really get them all. (laughs) So we don't have them all, but uh, we like to run quite a few different databases on our subjects, especially for looking for phone numbers um, or license plate numbers or uh, new addresses or some random address from a long time ago. So we might find a new address on Westlaw, let's say, that didn't pop up on Lexus or vice versa. Um, But we definitely are a huge fan of TLO and ScopeNow and Westlaw and Lexus. Um, They all serve sort of Sometimes the same reason, but I think some are uh, some of the libraries in each are a little bit better than others or more current um, in some than others. But there is another one. It's not really a database. It's more of a I don't know what I'd call it. It's called dehashed. I don't know what I would call that. Um, having a brain freeze, but it's pretty cool. And since we're talking about phone numbers, this is one where you can see if uh, if there's been a breach on your information. And sometimes it will show you someone's uh, phone number that was linked to the account that was breached. So it's not like a, a database like TLO, like a commercial database uh, that's going to give you address history or anything like that, or liens or judgments. This is simply, you know, has there been a breach and is there a new email address or even a password sometimes shows or a phone number associated with this, um, with this account that was breached. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've used dehash, but I didn't use it for the point of finding the phone number or maybe a new email. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, Right, right, right. Yeah, it's great for that. And these sort of one-off cases where you sort of need to find that needle in a haystack. Yeah. Or or confirm someone's email address or phone number. Right. So um, do you use Hunchly? We had a love fest on the last episode with Hunchly. Oh, that's really funny that you asked that. So we just did a demo with Hunchly. Uh, my colleague has used it in the past, but we just did, and they have some new offerings. So we just did a demo last week um, and just got trial uh, info on all that. So if you would have asked me this question a week ago, I literally would have said no, but now we can say yes. <laughs> Uh, Justin is amazing. I hope to have him on the podcast. I know he'll come on the podcast. It's a matter of scheduling it, but I've been a Huntley fan for like, I think six years. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And I found him. This is crazy. How I found Justin was I went to osmosis, the first osmosis in Vegas, um, got to see Michael Bazell, who, Mm -hmm. you know, crazy. Um, And then I started digging on Bazell and I found Justin and I was a little intimidated to contact Bazell, but I wasn't intimidated to contact Justin. And I could say that he and I are like, you know, good internet friends. And he's been so helpful. I've subbed him on work. And um, that all came from osmosis. I would have never oh, known wow. about Hunchley in, like in 2015 if it weren't for osmosis. Yeah, she uh, or I was going to say I saw him speak at a conference. I can't remember who it was through. I think two right before COVID actually. Um, but the, yeah, the great thing about osmosis is there's so many uh, different companies that are demoing their tools. So you really get to see if there's any new tools out there or old ones that have um, enhanced their offerings. And so, yeah, it's great. So I hope to be using it soon. I haven't uh, gotten into all the nuances. I was sort of overwhelmed with the, uh, the you know, the one hour training. It was sort of blew us away at how, uh, how much you could do with it. So. Well, and like on the previous episode with Rebecca Ford, um, she's like, you know, I've used Hunchly and I put together a presentation and people are like, oh my God, you're genius. And she's like, no, I'm Hunchly. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, it does. And I've used it in casework too before. And it like, you know, the client's been like, this is amazing. You know, just, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and then plus Justin is so incredibly well-connected and helpful. Um, so um, where can we find you online? Where's best to find you online? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn and then you can find me at my company. Uh, so Andrew and I, are we're called 221B Partners. We're located in Chicago. Uh, we do work all over, but our headquarters, our headquarters, our office is in Chicago and it's 221Bpartners.com. Okay, okay. And what... Um, these are a couple of sort of wrapping up questions. Okay. You read that book, but are, is there anything you're binging like crime wise or just interesting wise on like Netflix or podcasts right now? Yeah. So we just finished uh dope sick, which I thought was amazing. It was so great. It's on Hulu, obviously sad stuff with, um, opioids. And I just read the, I didn't read Dope Sick, but I read the book Empire of Pain a few months ago. So I already knew the story of the Sackler family. Um, and I can't remember the name of the author of that, but he did Patrick just an, okay. So he did such an amazing job uh, researching it. And I think, you know, you're a true research geek like myself, when you actually enjoy reading the end notes and get sort of thrilled by how well-researched it is when you read the end notes. Um, so I didn't read the book Dope Sick, but uh, did just finish watching it just this weekend and thought it was amazing and really shows, I think, uh, the struggles in the beginning, at least, uh, and probably still now, but of prosecuting senior leadership and executives at corporations um, and just the struggles in the very beginning of the case that lasted uh you know, probably on 20 years now, uh, federal prosecutors, DEA agents, FDA, everyone, um, you know, it was a really, it was a really well-written, uh, show and, and story. I'm sure if I read the book. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? 
just a little more lighthearted. <laughs> oh, more. I was going to say narcos, more, more lighthearted. <laughs> I'm trying to think, boy, I'm sure I just watched something super lighthearted and I'll get off this off this call and say, why didn't I think of that? But um, I will in the next 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> what haven't I asked you that you want the audience to like know? anything about you, your work or investigations. So yeah, I or nerd I, nugget. That's what I call some nerd nuggets. Nerd nugget. I think I just told you my nerd nugget that I like reading endnotes of books. Um, you know, I would say maybe just about this field that I think it's really and I, I, did, I didn't know to do it in my beginning of my career because I was in law enforcement. So it's not like I was like networking with a whole bunch of people who were outside of my industry. I only really, I wouldn't even call it networked. I only worked with law enforcement. That's pretty much it. Um, or banks or phone companies or beeper companies, right? Um, but I would say, especially if you're younger in your journey to figure out what you want to do in this industry. There's just so much these days you can do, whether it's, um, you know, in fraud, in the threat space, in uh, working in a law firm as a, as a paralegal, just doing any sort of research, whether it's, you know, being super nuanced and you're a cryptocurrency investigator, or maybe you work internally at a bank and do anti-money laundering, or you work for the government and do investigations. I think there's just so much I didn't know. I didn't realize there was in-house security at major corporations that actually didn't just do security and did really big investigations. Um, so I think networking and just knowing what's out there uh, to me is something I didn't know. I didn't have the, I don't want to say I didn't have the benefit. I certainly had the benefit of doing it. I just didn't know to do it. Okay. So this just brought up, did you ever watch The Good Wife? I did. <laughs> okay, Kalinda. <laughs> so true. I can't. I can't pull off. I can't pull off boots like her. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she's such a badass. Oh she my is, god. She, she is such a badass. Definitely is. <laughs> I kind of think if I could be anyone, I want to be Kalinda. And <laughs> she's pretty Chicago's cool. My, Chicago's my favorite big city. So I get to finally meet Jennifer, hopefully in person in April when I take a little trip there. Yeah. And, and hopefully it'll um, be warm. It should be by then. Yeah. That's what, that's why we plan for April. Yeah, March. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Not March. I can't thank you enough, Jennifer, being a guest on Great Women in Fraud. This was just wonderful. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at Osmosis too. Thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it was nice talking to you and um, really good to just talk about our industry and the things we do and the people we work with. So thank you. Jennifer in person. And of course, another shout out for osmosis. Please let me know if you are also attending. Have a wonderful week. And just to let you know, I started The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward by Daniel Pink. I'm going to listen to the Behavioral Grooves podcast where Pink is a guest. And I just got Under Money by Jay Newman. It looks really good. It has a recommendation on the back by Bill Browder, who wrote Red Notice. I was lucky enough to see him at the ACFE several years ago. I tweeted something and I totally got destroyed on Twitter by all sorts of Russian bots. So this book has got to be great. Let me know if you like it. Talk to you later. Bye.